So a few weeks ago, um, I was um, wasn't able to sleep, and I was going through uh, kind of the list of different things that happened uh, in my drinking career. I I was saying it out loud because there's nobody around. And I just you know I was saying it out loud, and the thing I, I got up and I went to a meeting with only had a couple of people, and usually I jump out of those, but I stayed and I got asked to speak, and I was like, sure. I was just you know re- you know not exactly rehearsing something, but um, the general gist of it was that, you know, I started drinking sometime um, in my early teens and um, throughout the entire time I was still living in a parent's house uh, before I got to college, at least, um, I never got confronted about drinking. Um, there was a teacher who had said something, but there were no consequences in, in high school. And then I got to college and again, you know, I was able to basically think my way through through college and do that to get around the, the drinking that I was doing. And um, and so by the time I, I got done with college, I had a, a job at DuPont and I was, I, I just bought a new Mustang and I was drunk. I had a point two something or other and I was flying down 202 at close to 100 miles an hour. And I made a turn. And from the, the lawyer, when he looked at the, the police report, he's like, there's no way you could have been going that fast because you made a turn there. And I was like, no, the supercharger kicks in and it goes pretty fast. And so I got arrested in the parking lot of my, of my, um, my apartment building. And my girlfriend, who was not at all pleased, was following behind me at a much more reasonable speed. And probably a much more reasonable blood alcohol level. And uh, she was able to park it for me and pick me up at the police station after I did the breathalyzer. And I thought I was screwed. I thought I was going to leave my job. I thought I was, you know, I thought I was really, I, I was going to leave my license and that was going to be the end of me having, you know, having this job. And uh, and my girlfriend, her name is Jeanette, who um, I knew her from college and we started dating Right. We, we met up again at the graduation that I went back to because I graduated semester early and uh, I had a crush on her for like the four, four years of college. And it was like serendipity that we ran into each other. And um, she said, you know, you're not going to lose your license. You're going to get a lawyer because rich people get lawyers and they get off and poor people don't and they go to jail. And now that will always stick with me her saying that. And uh and she was right. I got in there and I was able to uh plead out to um aggressive driving alcohol related. I did not lose my license. Um I was I had to pay the fine and there was some like, you know, no there was some probation that I didn't check in for or anything like that. DUI classes and I had to go to two AA meetings. And so I consider the three thousand dollars or whatever I spent on the lawyer, you know, as cost of doing business. So I really don't consider that as being consequences. Now, a little while later, um, DuPont sold our division to BMS and then BMS closed the site and I got laid off and I started drinking a lot. And um, I was supposed to help a friend of mine move and I showed up there too drunk to really do anything and I was told to go home. And when Jeanette came to my house and found me in some, into a bottle of Bushmills, that was the last time I ever saw her. So, you know, that's a consequence that I chalked it up to. We weren't really getting along that well anyway. And plus, I was, you know, 
seemed like a worm behind her back anyway. So I was able to, you know, just find another relationship to to get into. And so, you know, the the pattern kind of went on from there. I I was driving the said Mustang at a high rate of speed down 95 with a beer in the center console, and I got pulled over. And the uh, the state trooper asked me if it was Fourth of July, and the state trooper asked me if there's anything in the car in the contraband fire. I said no, and then he had, he asked me to search it. I said no, and then eventually he said, "Well, we're going to tell you we're going to search it anyway." And uh, he found the beer. I said, "Is there anything else? There's a beer in the center console." And he said, "Well, you don't know, you don't know this because you're you're from Pennsylvania, but it's not illegal to have a guitar in Delaware." And so he pulled it out and sent me on my way. I don't know if I even got a ticket. I probably got a speeding ticket, but. Um, again, no consequences. And um, the uh, I had a cop drive me home after I failed a field sobriety test, and he gave my keys to my neighbor. Um, I had a hit and run that I did not get caught for. I had another hit and run that I did get caught for after the fact, and I got that pled out to. I mean, I didn't get any, I get charged with uh, DUI because I wasn't there for them to, to test me. And so I got out of that one. So again, there were just no consequences. And um, I, I started to look at this uh, few, you know, a few weeks ago. And the, the, the lesson that I started to draw is that I had been able to get out of pretty much all of the serious um, the serious trouble I got into with law enforcement and legal system by getting the same lawyer twice, and um, there were certain. For a while, I was abusing Ambien, and I would abuse it during the day, and uh, I especially liked to take it right before I left the bar, so that by the time I got home, I was ready to pass out. And apparently, uh, and I don't know this because the alcohol and the Ambien together really do a number on your on your memory. So I don't remember that that hit and run uh, either of them because I was on Ambien Vets at times. And uh, the my, I was driving two other people and apparently I did not see a red light and did not stop for it and barely missed getting destroyed by a truck. At which point I was asked to give somebody else the keys, which I did, I suppose. And again, no serious consequences. And there were other minor fender benders that I paid out of pocket for, so it didn't go on insurance and didn't get reported and stuff like that. Um, but I had numerous interactions with with law enforcement where I was able to, for whatever reason, not get charged with the DUI. At least two where I think the officer knew that I was intoxicated. And there were several others where... Um, for whatever reason, I talked my way out of it, or they didn't spell it on me, or whatever. And um, the one time, I turned around from the DUF checkpoint, and I said I was going back to get my sweater, and I guess since I had an open Jeep, it didn't smell like alcohol in the car. And he said, fine, and let me go. And um, so as, as I was looking at all these all these things that I, that I got away with, I started adding up you know, the costs that were things that I wasn't looking at, that I wasn't really considering as part of the, the transaction. Certainly the the money, you know, six thousand dollars for the lawyer easily, um, plus the you know the fines and, and DUI classes and all that other stuff. Um, you know, I guess that's money I didn't have to spend on booze or whatever. 
Um, but then I started thinking about the the relationships that I lost over the years and the the just lost time, just the time that that I was unconscious or you know isolated drinking or whatever. And the the things that I've done to other people and um back in about 2017 I was I quit my job because it doesn't matter. I quit my job and I didn't really have anything else to do and I started drinking a lot. I had a lot of money saved up. And I just spent a lot of time drinking. And I ended up um, calling my, my father, who he and I just had not gotten along very well. And um, and I said, I need help. And he came out and got me. And when I got to the, the house, um, I think that the day after that, I started having seizures. I had one seizure, and then I had another one. And I woke up on the floor of my parents' kitchen with a cop and an EMT in the in in the kitchen and i ended up in the hospital for i don't know about a week i wasn't conscious for any of it and then um you know that was that was definitely a consequence and and um my you know the sonogram on the liver was not very good and i started realizing that you know a long time ago probably before i could legally drink i knew that at some point i was going to have to give up drinking that um, the health effects were going to start to catch up with me and that if I wanted to, you know, live a semi-normal life, I was going to have to quit. And throughout my late 20s and 30s, I, if it wasn't something that the doctor put on there, I would put a liver function test on my blood work so that I could take a look and, and see how, how my liver was doing. That was when they still wrote it up by hand. And, uh, and so when the hospital happened, I... I got out of that and went to rehab for a couple of weeks and it really didn't do much for me. And I was able to stay sober for three years, but I didn't know. And I don't know that it really existed in 2017 um, before the pandemic that there were secular meetings, but they even existed, let alone that, you know, I would be able to walk into Zoom like this and, and feel like for the first time I get what the program is, that it's, it's about making connections with other alcoholics who, you know, are, are here to, to help me and for me to help them and for us to help each other. And I never felt like that was what traditional AA was, was like for me. And, you know, I, I go back to the times that I'd gotten sober after, um, you know, I, I was, I had to be sober when I went to the DUI classes. So for like a month and a half or two months, I didn't drink or something like that. And you know, that was the first time I went to an AA meeting and, you know, it wasn't terrible or anything. Uh, I just didn't, you know, it was, it was terrible in the way that AA is generally terrible for people who find secular more appealing, but it wasn't like, you know, the end of the world. And, um, then I've been in and out of the program a number of times since then. And I just never, I never got it. I never felt like I, I belong. And, um, and then last year, I happened to be looking for some online meetings, and because I figured there had to have been some after the pandemic, and I was able to like look at the different options, and I found that, there, that the AA website itself sorts by secular, and so I came to know that there were secular meetings, but I didn't find out about World Wide Secular until January, and um, 
I think uh, I, I, I spent a lot of time going to meetings and enjoying meetings. And then I went to so many that I kind of got bored, you know, burned out and I stopped going to meetings and, uh, and then I had a relapse in March and then I had another one in July and I had, um, what, what really brought me back to the program this time is that on the 17th of July, my mother died. And instead of feeling any emotions, I just got angry and I just kept getting more and more angry. And, um, and I, I was able to keep my emotions down, but that rage hall comes with a cost. Um, and I, it came with a big cost because it, I was driving my Jeep far, far too fast and my transmission exploded on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. And tomorrow I'm going to get a new transmission for $1,000. Um, thankfully, I can do the work myself, so it's only the cost of the transmission. But, um, you know, I got to my parents' house and I didn't set an alarm for the funeral because I was, I expected that somebody was just going to wake me up because oh, poor me, I, you know, I had this problem on the turnpike and, you know, I don't have a sudden, you know, whatever. Anyway, I got to the house and nobody was there. I got to the house like hours and hours later than I should have because of the, the Jeep snafu. And uh, I started drinking as soon as I got there and I didn't stop for two weeks. Yeah, but the, 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 the point that, so what happened the next day is that I went to the funeral home and I basically exploded into a supernova of drunken anger. And then I collapsed for two weeks after that. And I embarrassed myself and I embarrassed my family and I embarrassed my mother's memory. And um, that, I think, is a consequence I can't, I can't, I'm not going to say that I can't live with it, but because I can, obviously, I'm, not, I'm still here. But um, I wouldn't even say it's rock bottom. It's not like, you know, I'm, I just don't want to be that person anymore. And finally, you know, the consequences, I looked at them and, and I found that as a consequence of trying to do it from, on my own, when, when my dog died and the beginning of the pandemic and everything was going crazy and our government was not handling it well and not to bring outside issues in, but um, it, it pertains to my sobriety because I thought the world was going crazy. And I said, well, fuck it. I got the fuckets and I started to, I actually waited to my sobriety date and I decided not to renew my subscription to sobriety that year. And that was uh, 2020. So for the last three years, I've been trying to figure out what it is that I had for three years that I don't, I haven't been able to, to get back to. Um, but I don't, I don't know that I was in the best. I wasn't emotionally sober, certainly for those three years. And um, like I said, I, I think when I found these meetings, I, I, I decided a couple of things. Um, and I, I, I'm sorry, I jumped around a little bit, but I didn't do any steps. I didn't do any work on my sobriety for those three years. And I didn't do any work on my sobriety when I was going to meetings in, in January and February and March. Um, and as a consequence, 
I relapsed. So what I decided is that, you know, listening to people in secular era, you hear a lot of people say, well, I didn't write the steps. Um, I didn't get a sponsor. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And my confirmation bias said, well, okay, why doesn't have to do that either? Um, because I didn't want to. And uh, what, what I came to realize is that not doing any work in my sobriety is not going to keep me sober. And so one of the things that I did as soon as I was able to, you know, think straight was to start looking up. Somebody had mentioned somebody, uh, Michael Molinas, uh, back in, in the, over the winter. And I would had that tab up since then, and it was on relapse prevention, but I never looked at it. So I never did any work on it. And so I have his book. I'm, I'm reading it right now. And um, the other thing that, that I, you know, looking back, I never got AA because I never felt like I was a part of it. I never wanted to participate in it. And um, the the key to Bill and Bob getting sober was helping each other. And, you know, I I usually would never call another alcoholic. Um, I just usually didn't didn't reach out like that. And so I'm trying to change that as well. I got I got a I asked the Bernard who asked me to speak, I asked him to be my Asked if he'd be my sponsor after that that meeting a few weeks ago, and so he said, "Well, I don't want to be your sponsor. I'll be your sober partner because I don't like the word sponsor; it's too hierarchical." And so, um, I'm trying to, you know, figure out what I want to do for my step four. I'm thinking about it, and you know, obviously, it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff, but I, um, you know. <laughs> Every alcoholic or every drug addict wants to say that this time's going to be different, but um, I just, I just can't see. Well, I have a hell of a motivation this time. I just, know, I don't want to be that person who embarrassed myself and my family and my mother's memory. And um, I think that's all I have. Um, thanks for, thanks for letting me share. I'm Brian, an alcoholic. <laughs>